Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. I'm Trisden. And I'm Ray. What we hope to do here is find a little bit of middle ground on some of these extremely polarizing social and political issues. Welcome everybody to Extreme Common Sense. How is it going, Ray? I am all right, Tristan. How are you? Good, man. It's uh, Wednesday, so uh, getting closer to Friday. Always, always a nice time when you see that. Uh, get over the hump and see the weekend uh, in the distance. It's always great. Okay. So, if you were working a four-day work week, <laughs> which I have never done in my life, um, would you rather have? Would you rather your four days be Monday through Thursday or Tuesday through Friday? Oh, good question. So, in other words, would you rather have Friday or Monday? Yeah, I, I would go Tuesday uh, through Friday. I think I would like, I would rather yeah. have Monday off than Friday. Me too, off. brother. Me too, because I always think, yeah. you know, like Sunday night's the worst part of the week because you're, you're, you know, and I, and I'm like you. I, I don't mean this in any way. First of all, the people who own the center are never going to hear this, so I'm not saying it for that reason. I like my job. I like coming to work, which is cool, right? Now, I have thought of late, though, Trisden, because I'll be 62 this month. Like, ah, it's starting to get a little bit, you know, long. But I often think about Sunday night, and it's like, ah, Monday's the next day. But if you're sitting there on Sunday night watching the NFL finish up and you don't have to go to work Monday, that's a pretty cool day. That's pretty nice. Yeah, I and, think and I, I would, would agree with that. Like, I. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think I yeah, no, I'm going to say there's a, there's a lot of people now working four day work weeks. Yeah, they are getting pretty common, and I could definitely do my job in four days. Really, it would be no problem. I mean, I would be busier, you know, on the four days. But at this point, I'm I'm just so used to it. It would be tough to like you know petition for that or to to try to really do it. Hell, I could do my job. But in I, half here's a, day, a, but a funny story. Don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> No doubt. Well, <laughs> my problem, you know, the problem with my job, and, and you have been a salesman for Wallingford, maybe not as quite as busy as, as I am, but my problem is, is I can take a day off, but my clients are working, so I'm still on the phone, you know, for two hours oh, yeah. during my day off. Yeah. So even if right. I'm if I'm off, I'm still on. So you know, it's with my job, you know, you're not going to turn down money and not answer a client that that needs you unless it's you know for some reason you can't. No, but, I was uh, but yeah, we used to have here. a Monday meeting. Uh, yeah. Do, do you remember that? We, we had I meetings do. when you were at Wallingford, but we're, I don't I remember do. them being Monday mornings. But we, yeah. when we started incorporating the, the Monday morning meeting, I would be so stressed out from about 5 o'clock on Sunday nights until oh, that, that meeting was over. And that it just sucks. made – I mean, because it, it – and it was easy. It wasn't a big deal. It was an hour, but it was just, I don't know. I just dreaded it. I hated being stuck in that room for an hour and a half. And so, and we haven't done that since COVID. And I've had the least amount of stress in like my entire adult life having to not do that stupid fucking Monday morning meeting. 
Oh man, that 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 is rough. Yeah, especially if you don't need to be getting anxiety on Sunday night. Now, ironically, I say I could do my job in a half a day, but that day is Monday because all of the orders go in. The liquor orders go in, the beer orders go in. Uh, Matt does the food order, so I don't have to worry about that. Payroll goes in on Monday. Typically, I'm making schedules, and so Monday is actually a busy day. But by about three, four o'clock Monday afternoon, I'm pretty much done for the week. <laughs> So that would be another question. If nice. you just had to work, would you work Monday if that was the only day you had to work? I'd say, yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that would be solid. Maybe that's a schedule you should shoot for. Hey, you know, our, our GM at the station now, Bill, has been retired for three years. I think he just comes in like three hours a day, four days a week, just because he can't not work. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Galaxy would work something out like that with you when you're ready just to, you yeah. know, you know the important shit you have to do and well. you could come knock it out and work it out so you could still get your social security or whatever. That's kind of where it's at now, Tristan. But, uh, and again, yeah, man. I've said, you know, I've said a hundred times uh, on this podcast that it, it really evolves out of the office that I work in and the conversations that we would have. Now, again, if owners do hear this, much like when you Dispar- say something disparaging or whatever you know they've done okay while I've been there so they really would have no complaints so you know we're getting done what we need to get done but we've had some conversations along the way and real quick no I was definitely not as no successful doubt. selling radio as were you because I did it for about six months when Mr. Wallingford came to me and said this really ain't your thing is it you need to be on the operations side and I was <laughs> like yeah I, I think that's right <laughs> yeah yeah, sales is tough. Like with sales, it's you basically have to just say, I'm going to be miserable for about a year and a half or two years and just put my head down and hear no all the time. But if you get through like that initial hump of, you know, the, the growing pains, then it becomes a really great job. And now having done it for 16, 17 years, like, you know, I haven't cold called anybody in you know, geez, who knows? It's just, you know, mostly referrals or people that are already clients telling their friends or whatever. And, you know, I might stop in if I'm going to a new store that I'm going to patronize and say, Hey guys, here's my card. If you ever need anything, give me a shout. But it's, you know, I never hear like, get out of here, boy, or anything like that anymore, which is nice. I've got a buddy of mine. But no, and and to your point, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I I I don't know. I think we're stepping on each other a touch today. But yeah, well, we're, we're I was just going to say, I really like our, <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you go, you go, you go, Ray, you go. Well, we are stepping on each other cause we're doing I'm not a, going. a remote. Okay. A remote broadcast again, but we've got a studio, which we'll talk about in a minute, but our friend, I was going to say, you know him. Well, of course you know him. Cause he came in and do, came in and did the show. Tony, Tony Perkins, who's a salesman and has been for a number of years. And Tony's line is everybody always says that, um, the old prostitution is the oldest profession, but that's not right. Sales is the oldest profession because before the prostitute consummated with the John, they had to make the sale. <laughs> so sales is the is the oldest profession, not prostitution. That is a great point. I have never <laughs> thought about that. 
But I, right. I, I was also going to throw in, like I, like you, I'm blessed to have a job that I really, really enjoy. Now, again, sans those Monday meetings I had for, for 10 years, those were right. miserable for no reason. But other than that, like I, the dealing with people, clients, you know, helping businesses grow, like it, it really is enjoyable. Offering advice and things that I've learned, it, it, it's re- rewarding and fun and you make a lot of friends and it's pretty lucrative for you know the amount of work you have to do so yeah no complaints that's pretty cool Tristan, because we're sort of doing a show about nothing because i i think you've got a topic though i'm not certain i know what it is but so we're kind of talking about (laughs) our working lives and i've been doing it longer than you but basically my adult life has consisted of three jobs i self-employed for a time with a lawn well four because i disc jockeyed for myself for 30 years um, that was under under undercurrent to the other jobs I had. But I had a lawn business for 12 years where I was self-employed. I worked in the radio industry for about 10, and I've been here a little better than 10. So I haven't really had a career per se. I've had a series of jobs, but none of them I hated, perhaps accepting the lawn business. I stayed with it a little too long. And by the time I, you know, I was almost 40 and going out there and I I pretty much hated that at the end. And that's where I went to work for Kelly, but I never woke up saying, I can't stand going in today with radio. And I've never woken up um, saying that about managing this bowling center. And, And for anybody who is looking at, you know, unemployment at age 50 as I was, I would say um, it's really cool to learn new things in your 50s. Uh, that was a really neat aspect for me. You know, it was, it's, it's been, it's been good. So I, I, and, and I will add to that. I had a job as a kid where I was doing maintenance at a retirement home. It wasn't a nursing home. These were people who had retired. It was kind of like assisted living up in New Jersey. And Trisden, I used to, I still remember them. There was Sal and there was uh, Mr. Rizzo and there was uh, Joe Noach. It was all these old fellas who were old. I mean, they were 75, 70, 75, and they'd gather in the, in the pool room, in the social room. And Jesus, they would just bitch about how miserable. Miserable. I did 35 years driving a bread truck. I hated every day of it. I did 35 years, you know, selling whatever it was. But they all were. And I remember as a kid saying, man, I don't want to be 70, 75 looking back saying, fuck, I went to work every day and hated it for 35 years. I feel bad for folks like that. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and the only job I've ever had in my in probably entire life that was similar was my first uh, career type job out of college. I was um, a customer service rep at a finance company. And it was a great job on paper. Like their 401k was literally, they would triple match your retirement. So if you put in 100, they were going to put in 300. So you could retire pretty quick, you know, at, at this finance company. But I mean, you're sitting in front of a computer on the phone, you know, doing loans, collecting the loans, and you know, when you're eight hours a day staring at a screen, you know, you never get up and do anything. You're just yeah. sitting there, and and I, I was miserable at that job. I spent one full year doing it, and the not the owner, but the the boss at the time took me aside, and she was like, "You're 22 years old. You obviously hate this, like." go do something that makes you happy. And, uh, it was, it was the best advice, you know, and it's common sense, but it really is good advice. You know, the two most important decisions you ever make are who you, who you, 
choose to spend your life with, marriage, partnerships, whatever, and then what you do for a living. And yeah, there's no excuse to spend every day, eight hours a day, not happy. It's not worth being rich. It's not worth the money. If you're miserable, it, it's, you know, don't do it. So if those are the two life decisions, you'd say we each went one for two? The one, one for two, unquestionably. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you this. Uh, I, I took me seven years to go through college. I got out when I was 24 or 5, and I took a job with an employment agency up in Jersey, Pomerantz Personnel, and that was my one foray into the corporate world, shirt and tie every day, and I did about 20 months, 1986, 87. And um, like you, it became so painful. I hated it. And I'll tell you how I, that was a job I've been fired twice, maybe three times in my life. And that was one um, where Lance <laughs> Rosenberg had, had, um, had hired me and um, Lance also let me go. And it was uh, all guys There were four, I worked with four guys and there were like nine offices in the company. So it was like 40 dudes and we would have meetings just like you're talking about. And they, and this is pre-internet, pre-anything. So it was phones and it was almost all phones and some faxing, right? And you would interview people and look for jobs, either temporary or permanent. I never got to permanent. That was the carrot. I was just placing people in temporary jobs. And they were making this big stand, the owners of the company, that the guys, us sales guys, were spending far too much time on the phone uh, chatting with whoever, and we weren't doing business, so we're going to limit any outside calls to no more than 15 minutes, and you're going to have to do that on your lunch hour, and you're going to stay on that phone working. Well, Lance, who worked in the office with me, but was a higher up, and I'd been there now like 20 months, and I knew I was moving to Kentucky, and I was ready. He used to stay on his phone for 40 minutes with Carol. Carol, is Lance there? And then Carol, his office door was open. You could hear him yelling and stuff. So me... Mr. Wise asked, I raised my hand in the meeting and I was like, you know, I understand you guys trying to do this, but you know, not for nothing. Lance is on his phone doing that more than any of us. And one guy after the meeting, Jimmy, Jimmy Benzel was his name. Jimmy was a great guy. I'll never see him again. Jimmy said, man, Ray, that was really, he worked in the office with me. He said, that's really cool. You said that, but if I were you, I'd start polishing up my resume. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, two weeks later, two weeks later, Lance called me in. And when he called me in, I was like, I'm getting fired, aren't I? He's like, yeah, you're done here. And then that was about eight months before we moved to Kentucky. True story. But oh, like you funny. said, that was, a, that was a shirt and tie every day. It was in an office where there were no window, where there were windows, but you couldn't open the windows. And so one of us would volunteer to go out for lunch every day. And I'd be like, I got, I got this. I'll head out and buy you guys lunch, man. Or, you know, collect up the money and buy And I'll, I'll fly out and get the lunch just to get out of this freaking place. So. Exactly. Yeah, I wasn't meant to sit behind a desk. I mean, I don't think any guy is. I mean, not not guys over women, but humans aren't just meant to sit that long every day. It's, you know, unmanageable, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're going to be on a Xanax or, a, or something, you know, at some point because you can't. You're just not meant for that. And, and that's yeah. what, you know, at least in radio, I mean, yeah, you're sitting there for a bit, but then it's like, all right, enough. I'm going to go visit some clients or I'm going to go wherever. So, yeah, that, that, that is a, a nice perk of the job. And I could not Absolutely. ever go back to a nine to five. Like, I couldn't go back to that at this point ever. Yeah. Well, that's true. So, too. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, should. Minus, I've never really had a nine to five other than that, other than that job. Yeah. All right, so, so we got do a little client thinking. Yeah, and you've got a topic that I 
we'll find out what it is here momentarily, but can we do a little sponsor thank you? Yeah, no, I think that's a great call. Um, so both uh, two of our clients, uh, Bad Wolf and Berea Pond, have been nice enough to offer us some, some, uh, some studio space. So I think we yes. want to thank both of those guys. I mean, we're very blessed with our sponsors. And, of course, Troy with Front Porch Studios, which he's not in the studio conversation now. Ironically enough, he's Front Porch Studios, but we yeah. now have not been in, in Troy's studio as he's now in the Ville. I hope that's not a secret. So he's, he is helping remotely, but Bad Wolf and Berea Pond have both offered up uh, some studio space, so we're, we're going to probably go with Bad Wolf uh, and maybe, I don't know, switch up every year or something, just so they both get their fill of, of you and I doing our podcast. But I guess the point of saying that is, like, not only are they great sponsors, but, you know, just the coolest people to, to kind of to make those offers. And, and, we're, and I don't know Dan as well as I know Aaron. At this point, Aaron really, truly has become a best friend, um, but... You know, it's just uh, it's great to have people like that in your in your world. You know what I mean? Just generous and friendly and and helpful and you know just good folks. Yeah, and we finally made it in. Yes, well, I finally made it in yesterday. But we took a little tour and visited both places. And uh, as you say, they both have some really neat spots. I'm looking forward to to getting back into a studio setting. Hopefully, we two idiots will be able to set everything up and and get the fine. Um, audio quality that Troy's always delivered for us. And of course, he's only a phone call away to help us out. But uh, yeah, Daniel doing fine over at Bad Wolf. And Aaron's store is really, as you always say, a little bit everything. Really a, a very cool store to walk through and just check out all that's there. And it's ever-changing. And, um, you know, just a little bit everything at Berea Pond. Yeah, and you got to meet uh, Aaron's wife too, who maybe is the nicest person ever. So yeah, yeah. So if you and, and I will, that will be my advice. If you're listening, when you go into Berea Pond, find Robin. Robin is the one you want to talk to. Aaron, when you first meet him, he might be a little standoffish. Robin's going to take care of you. Go see Robin. Get the, get the hookup. So don't miss out on that. And then of course, Troy. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna have some. <laughs> I keep saying it. We're gonna have some produced audio commercials coming up pretty soon for these guys. So it's less us stuttering through it. But Troy's got some really cool stuff going on at Front Porch Studios. He's a great asset uh, for, for this podcasting world, and he's got a lot of stuff cooking. Uh, check him out at frontporchstudios.com. There's some cool money saver tips things on there. Just some cool stuff to check out. Don't miss frontporchstudios.com. Also, and yes, I can tell you what the topic is. Even though I think maybe we had brushed around the topic when i saw you yesterday um at Berea Pond and bad wolf but uh i think there was some controversy about biden's latest speech that was on uh prime time so we were gonna maybe t uh, talk about that a little bit if you want to sure cool so i i, I think i was fascinated by the fact that i would say your brother is farther left than you and i both and sort of felt like that was the speech was a little bit inciting. What, what did you think about what he said or my? Yeah. So Tommy's opinion yeah, about was, what your, I, I don't know what your brother said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think his opinion was not necessarily that the speech was inciting, which certainly that's what the right is saying. He thought it was perhaps unnecessary because things seem to be breaking somewhat, at least for now, although, you know, there's still 60 day plus days to the election. So yeah, it's an eternity in politics, as they say. But things are are breaking pretty well right now for Democrats. Obviously, the abortion issue, the overturning of Roe is helping them. Some of the 
terrible candidates, as Mitch McConnell said, and, and apparently him and Rick Scott are battling, which is which is a little interesting warfare within the Republican Party, which is kind of neat. Not, not, not neat to see. I don't mean it in that way. It's interesting to see because you don't usually see those kind of fights as public as they are. Um, and, um, and, and Biden seems to be getting a little bit of his footing. The economy's sort of hanging in there. And my brother thought, you know, it was a little bit of piling on and maybe unnecessary. My thought was, look, man, you know, the old call a spade a spade. It seems to be that there's one faction of one party in this country that is okay with authoritarianism rather than democracy. And I don't see the problem with calling people out on that and making them defend it, Tristan. You know, because to me, look, politics isn't beanbag, as they say. It's a bare knuckles fight. Politics is tough stuff. It's 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 big boy and big girls games. And um, there's strategy. And one of the strategies is if you can keep your opponent on the defensive, that generally works pretty well. And Republicans are defensive about this charge. They simply are. MAGA Republicans are defensive. They've been since he made the speech. Yeah. No, I think you're exactly right. And I think one of the things, too, that was fascinating about Trump, and you you could maybe, if you were on the right, say the same thing about Hillary Clinton. But it's just, I use the term, I think, with our friend Emily when she came on as a guest, that, that they're lightning rods. That they're, And I didn't necessarily mean that as, a, as an insult to Emily, but maybe she took it as one. But anyway, like when somebody is a lightning rod, it's constant. Like they're getting a constant barrage of either love or criticism, but they're kind of, they always seem to be in the spotlight. With Republicans, it was Hillary's emails and this guy who knew her husband in the 80s went missing. Or, but you know what I mean? There was always some kind of drama around the Clintons. There was always something around Trump. It was, you know, uh, geez, the Ukraine stuff where he was withholding the funds to, you know, he would say something about a reporter having a period. I mean, it was a never-ending constant strand of news but there is a point where and i don't want to pile on because i'm sure i was i was just as guilty with trump of you know making every single issue the world's biggest deal but there is a point where when the democracy comes into question it's uh it's time to really step back and say okay well i didn't like this and i didn't like that but this is some real shit this is some real step back and country first and let's not like let's not worry about our parties at this point i mean but we can't be we can't let you know a uh, uh, one man that we that some folks really really love be bigger than the country or bigger than the constitution or bigger than the american flag so i do hope a lot of the folks in the middle kind of see that look i'll be the first one to say i i would vote for liz cheney in a second over losing our democracy or John Kasich or any number of Republicans I would be happy to vote for and do tend to vote for a lot of local Republicans because I meet them and they're great people. Uh, but again, you know, we've got to stand up against this and that 30% of just diehard MAGA, I don't know if anybody's going to reach them, but I sure hope that the middle of the country says we're not going to send this guy. We're not making this man our, our candidate in 2024. Uh, you know, I, I certainly hope it's, you know, the, the governor of Florida or literally any number of any other Republicans that aren't, you know, into that. 
No, I don't think there's any reaching that percentage of the Republican Party that is MAGA. And I think that's why President Biden made that distinction several times in that speech. And he, I don't say he coined that phrase, but he certainly put into the vernacular now, because I'm using it, MAGA Republicans, which is different from conservative Republicans. Unfortunately, the way I see it, there's not enough Liz Cheney's and Adam Kinzinger's and all the guys that started the Lincoln Project and all the never Trumpers, some of whom who are now Trumpers, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz amongst them. But, uh, you know, he he used that phrase for a particular purpose. And again, you have to defend that if you're in that camp. Okay, so, you know, the whole notion of uh, Biden is addled and he's drooling and that doesn't work in this instance because he called you out. And if you're in that faction of the Republican Party and you're upset at the use of the word fascist, which does have particular connotations and, you know, we know Mussolini and Hitler were fascists in the middle part of the last century, and it was both met with terrible outcomes. And I understand all the baggage that that word carries. But two of the prominent features, Trisden, of fascism, because keep in mind, Germany was a, a democratic country prior to Hitler, and he even won an election in 33, maybe. Um, what fascists do, let's be honest about this, is they deny elections— and they use violence to overturn results they don't like. That is the dictionary definition of what MAGA Republicans did. So you have to tell me how that is an unfair charge, because did your faction of the party not do both those things? As far as I know, President Trump is out on the stump to this fucking day, almost two years after the election, saying he won which means he's denying the election, and we saw the violence on the 6th of January. How is that not semi-fascist? No, I think you're exactly right. I think it, it is very, uh, very fascist, even though the term has recently been semi-fascist. That's very fascist. And I will say this, I've probably said it on the show before, but to me... Our side is just as crazy in that if we had Al Gore in, in 2020, you know, two years later, every chance he gets in front of a microphone talking about how election was rigged and stolen and fake, our crazies would be doing the same thing. So I don't want to say Republicans are just crazy. Republicans are just bad people. Look, they believe the leader of their party. A lot of people really idolize Donald Trump, just like a lot of people idolize Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton or insert Democrat, you know, president or presidential candidate as well. So to me, as bad as I hate it for these people, and these people are going to go to jail, a lot of the folks from January 6th, it's more Donald Trump's fault. It's not an issue of, you know, I mean, he, these people have been incited by speech after speech saying the Democrats are stealing our government. They're stealing our election. There was fraud, even though every court in the land, many of the judges appointed by Trump have said, look, it's just not there. It's not real. And the point that I think you've made on the show many times if they were going to fix these elections, why did they go in and fix Donald Trump, but not the lower card election? Because right. many of the lower undercards, you know, were Republicans that lost. Nobody's ever explained Or that, Democrats. Ever. Exactly. Right. And I think that's the best point to be made. Look, if you're going right. to go in and cheat, you're not going to go, you know, 
take out Trump but leave all the other Republicans. It just it doesn't it's make ridiculous. any sense. I hope I said that correctly. You did. Yeah. yeah. No, so, it's, it's, it's yeah, a question me, that I've asked for years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so we really so have to say that, you know, that, that, that this is a little bit bigger than, you know, we, we don't like something that, that he did. And, and I will say this, too. Again, I hope this is not just more of the liberal piling on. But, man, imagine if Hillary Clinton in her New York apartment had had 48 boxes of top secret documents that, you know, the our country tried to get back and she wouldn't give back. And then they had to come take them. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Hannity would just explode. He would just die. And, and now it's, well, you know, he can do that. He was the president or he waved a magic wand and made them not top secret anymore. I mean, there's some pretty reaching excuses at this point for that, too, which was also maybe not. It, maybe he, he did it with the best of intent. But boy, if he didn't, Jesus Christ, I mean, that could be treason. Yeah, and the problem is when you're Donald Trump, nothing is out of bounds, right? I mean, his history is such that if you heard he was holding these documents to have leverage down the road for whatever he needed it for, would that be the least bit shocking? It wouldn't, and that's not my fault or your fault. That's Donald Trump's fault, the way he's led his life. But I think what you were describing before and the willingness to follow somebody is that whole cult uh, you know, that, that whole uh, definition of the cult that we hear. Tribal mentality. Cult. Yeah, yeah, cult-like mentality. But what caught my ear in your analysis there, and I'd like you to flesh this out more, you think that, and I'm not saying you're not right, I'm just asking because you don't often hear it that way, but you think that these are mirror images, furthest right and furthest left? You think that the left has the same potential to follow a crazy leader if the cult grew to the place that MAGA Republicans have taken their cult? In most ways, yeah. I mean, I just think that, you know, it's almost a, it's almost a bell curve, and you're going to have the same loonies on one end as you do the, you know, the brilliant genius part, side of the party on, on the other end. Now, I don't know. I mean, you'd always love to sit here and say, and again, I think you and I are closer to the middle, so I think there's a lot of common sense in the decisions we make. So I think if, you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, for an example, was president and it felt like she was kind of going off the deep end and lying, and, and I, I feel like I would have to use the context of the judicial system, the context of, you know, the, the legislative branch of the of the government, and if everybody in the world was saying that Hillary's lying and this is incorrect, I mean, look. There's a point where you have to sit back and say, man, I really like Hillary or I really like, you know, Obama or whoever. But, man, this is this is just wrong. So, yeah, we there are some plenty of crazies on our side, too, that if the situation was a, a mirror opposite reversed, that would be willing to go fight and storm a capital and do all these things. But again, at least to this point, we've never had a candidate that would that would ask that that would continue this lie. So. I mean, the problem's with the candidate, not the folks. Well, again, I think yes and no, right? Because the Tea Party bubbled up. I think we talked about this last week. I think the question for this age, and we've been down this road a hundred times, and maybe people now find it boring, but, you know, it sort of spurs the politics of the day. 
is you're going to need the hindsight of history, whether it's 30 years from now, 50 or 100. You know, by the year 2100, perhaps they'll be able to look back and figure out Trump's appeal and figure out what it was that um, he put forth and what it was that people found um, palatable, what it was that people liked, frankly. Uh, you know, America first. OK, I get that. Make America great again. But again, nobody has ever answered the question as to when America wasn't great and what were we making it great from. Right. And so when you can't answer that question, you know what that does, Trizen? It allows folks like us to say, well, I think what they're talking about. And they'll say, well, it's economics when it was economically great. Okay, in the 50s, perhaps. Well, let me remind you, that's when labor unions were at their strongest. That's when the rate of people in labor unions was the highest in the country's history in the 50s. So if it's the 50s you're looking at, then let's keep that in mind. Okay, Mr. Hannity, Mr. Carlson, I think it was about 42 percent of the American workforce was unionized when we were great. And now it's down to, I don't know, 8 percent maybe in the private sector, a little bit higher in the public sector. But was it great because, and this is where it gets dicey, but I still get to answer, ask this question because it's never really been satisfactorily answered. Was the country great? And this might offend somebody like Aaron. And, and I think Aaron is reasonable, our, our sponsor. But again, I have to ask, make America great. Meaning what? It was great when blacks were in the backs of buses, when homosexuals were in the closet, when women weren't sitting on corporate boards. What? What What was the greatness that you want to return to? You got to answer that for me. So was Trump just representing a thought out there that's always been there and never had really gotten voice put to it? Uh, well, I shouldn't say didn't have voice put to it. It was always that that was what it was. We knew who Archie Bunker was, but now there's been all this backlash over 50 years and people are saying, I don't like this backlash. I don't like where my country's going. So I'm going to support this guy who's saying, hey, I don't like this stuff either. Well, I will say this. One of my favorite terms to pull out is plausible deniability. And I think the term make America great again is a wonderful dog whistle because good folks like so many of our friends, like Aaron, who you referenced, if you asked Aaron, when was America great and what's he referencing? He might say, look, it was great in the eighties under Reagan. You know, we liked, I don't know, any number of examples, but it's also a dog whistle to your aunt that hates Mexicans, you know, at, at Thanksgiving, who can say, oh, we know when America was great. We liked it when blacks were in the back of back of buses and, you know, uh, segregation was the, the rule of law and you didn't have to worry about transgender folks on every TV show. So, look, that's the problem with Make America Great Again is that it's it means something different to everybody. So it's it's plausible Man, deniability. Hey, so there. all the good Republicans... Sure. That's a fantastic point. That's a freaking great point, Tristan. This is why you're the smarter guy of the two of us. That's fantastic. And I've never really thought about it in those terms because because you make American great can mean two completely different things to two to two different people and they would both fall under that heading where I have chosen to say well make America great means it's an appeal to racists and 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 homophobes. Lucas in the office with me would say, no, man, it's appeal to it's an appeal to America's economic greatness and smaller government and lower taxes and all that good stuff. That's really a great take on it. 
So it's a it's a very uh, umbrella term. Yeah. So and again, I I, I know, man. If if I asked, I, I'll say this. I know an equal amount of racists who would vote Democrat as would Republican. In the course of my life, I'm amazed at a Democrat dropping the N-word or, you know, pulling out a, but they're right about those damn Mexicans kind of, and you're just stunned to hear somebody that you feel like is in this this sort of umbrella party where we sort of accept everybody of also being a fantastic racist. So I know for a fact that our friend Aaron immediately comes to mind as being a Republican that would never take make America great again as to exclude black people or Mexican folks or homosexuals or anybody. I think Aaron is a equal opportunity guy. If somebody wants to work and get ahead, Aaron's going to have your back, which is a, a pretty darn fair way to look at life. So yeah, I mean, I, Again, I think a lot a lot of people can can look at Make America Great, and it's yeah, like just exactly what you said. Hey, it's lower taxes, it's smaller government, it's keeping the government out of our checkbooks, etc., which is fine. But there's a lot of people with pointy hoods in their heart that are given a wink and a nod when they hear that because it also to them means make America great back when black people had to have their own baseball league. You know, they weren't playing with our boys kind of. So there is that mindset on the fringe. And I mean, nobody's going to tell me it's not there. I don't think it's the prevalent view of Republicans. Most Republicans I know are deeply, deeply not racist, but there is that fringe. So then you would disagree with Bill Maher's point that, not all Republicans are racist, but if you are a racist in America today, chances are you are more comfortable in the Republican Party. Man, I think a lot of that. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I would disagree with that. I, I think racism doesn't have a, a political party. I think the Democrats have done a good job painting the Republicans with that brush, and especially under Trump, who you know refused to deny David Duke and you know, who said there was good folks on both sides in Charlottesville. Look, he, he, he made a lot of mistakes or he's racist. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say he made a lot of mistakes and he said the wrong thing and he refused to apologize. And, and you know, he, he wasn't now, now some of my Republican friends might say, Oh, he's just not politically correct. And he doesn't have to come apologize for everything. And it's right. no big deal. And he didn't mean that. So, you know, take it how you want it. But yeah, there's definitely, some people that that do need to be a little more conscious of of uh, of race, but then also like our side on Twitter is full of uh, idiots that make everything about race. And look, everything is not about race. I, I, you and I probably both have several black friends, and it's rare that you just sit down and talk about race. Like, look, people just want to live and have a family or not, or you know, do the things they love to do, and you don't want to sit and think about race all day. Nobody does. But if you go on Twitter, like, you think that's the world. Like, everybody just sits around looking for microaggressions. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's racism out there, uh, and then there's people that say racist things that may not even be racist. You know, there's, there's a, a very lengthy conversation there. But no, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a Republicans are racist, Democrats are not situation. Um, but they definitely have more rebel flags on their trucks, I'll say that. There's that, and, uh, you know, you do have to ask, I think, or let's say you don't have to ask, but it's fair to ask, and you can't blame Democrats, you can't blame the MSNBC punditry for asking who 
Mr. Trump's appealing to when he says there's good people on both sides or when he denies knowing David Duke or he doesn't disavow David Duke. I always say another part of politics, so so raise lessons on politics after 62 years of being a hobby or however, 50 years of being a hobbyist, whatever it is, is, is one, if you can keep your opponent on the defensive, as I said, which Biden's speech does, because now these people have to come out and say, well, you know, I'm not a, a, an ultra right wing uh, semi-fascist you know, MAGA cult person. No, that's not me. Or some may say it is and take their chances in states that would support that, like Wyoming. Um, but a- another part is, um, you know, so keeping people on a defensive, but also um, you have to ask, you know, who are you appealing to? We get to ask you that question. When you say, you know, good people on both sides, when you say you don't know, uh, you know, who David Duke is or why he's supporting you, it's unfair for us to say, why are you asking that? Why are you saying that? You, you, you have to answer that question. No, there weren't good people on both sides. Fucking Nazis are not good people, so let's disavow them. Um, so that gets a little dicey. Yes, and I, and I think hopefully I'm uh, reading your point correctly in what you're saying that I feel like, yes, there's plenty of Democrat racists, but I don't feel like there's a base in our party that's sort of sitting around waiting for that dog whistle to jump up and say, you're right, I hate those black people. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that as a group on our edge, I, you look, we've got our problems. You could you could probably say our problem on our fringe is the f- anti-free speechers on the Democrat side that well, have to be stopped. Well, but it's anti-free yes. speechers. Um, it, yes, it's anti-free speechers. It's that what, what's come to be known woke, which that term is so silly now because it's overused. But yes, the, the, the anti-free speechers, people who want safe spaces and don't want to hear somebody from the other side speak, which is so damn ridiculous. And the environmental terrorists, if you want to do that, where everything is about the environment. And look, we all have to uh, leave a better planet for the people that come next. But it can't override everything. Economics are important, so you got to find a way to blend those two things. And there's some there's some crazies on the left that don't do that particularly well, right? So yeah, I think that's where our wackos are on that far fringe. They're not necessarily racists or anti-Semites or certainly not anti-homosexual, as you might find on the far right of the Republican Party. But on the far left of the Democratic Party, it is safe spaces for people to speak. Fuck safe spaces. Throw it all out there. It's, um, you know, we can't offend anybody. Every joke is offensive. You don't tell the joke about the Pollock, the Jew, the Irishman, because everybody's offended. Okay, all right, everybody's offended. So we'll just stop telling jokes. And the environmentalist wackos, as Limbaugh used to call them, uh, they're, they're, they would be, I think, the answer. That would be the mirror, uh, the far fringe of the left. Right. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I think race as a, as a party issue is not a Democrat party issue. Although, yes, there's plenty of racists on both sides. Yeah. So question for you, Ray, uh, Joe, Joe Biden in 24. Uh, I know you've been very staunchly on the show on record as saying you're definitely ready and, and hoping we find somebody better to run. Man, has has Biden's streak changed your heart at all? Well, I think he's trying to. I think that speech was as much a 
2024 stump speech as it was to just pick on Republicans. But again, I, you know, look, Joe Biden is not addled and he's not drooling and he knows this stuff better than most because he is the president and he's been doing it for all of his adult life. So obviously the Biden brain trust saw some kind of opening here based on polling, based on something. Otherwise, he doesn't go out and give that speech. Now, Fox says it's a Hail Mary because he's got so much to reach for. Actually, I would go more to my brother's point. Things were breaking pretty well for Biden. So why do you make this speech? Well, you make it because, again, third time, you put your opponent on the defensive. But also, to be perfectly blunt, it does keep Democrats away from having to talk about things like inflation and, you know, higher interest rates and so forth, right? Because they're not going to win on those issues. So you keep your opponent on the defensive. And I don't think Republicans saw this coming, frankly. I didn't think they were going to have to, I don't think they thought they were going to have to defend themselves from this attack of fascism. Politically, I think it's pretty brilliant. And I think most people break that way because most people do like American democracy. Yeah, there may be some element that thinks there's too much democracy and henceforth too much, too many freedoms and the way to rein this the, the way to rein these progressive tendencies in America in is to be more authoritarian. But I don't think that's going to win you an election. I don't think that's something you want to run on, at least in 2022 America. And Biden's kind of forcing their hand on that. So, you know, I, I think that speech, um, you know, did that. But it also let Joe put his chest out a little bit and say, all those you, uh, of you who are counting me out, I ain't out yet. Okay, I may be viable in 2024. I mean, I think the only way he doesn't run is if he makes that announcement like LBJ in 68. I will not seek nor will I accept my party's nomination. Now, were that to happen, Tristan, I'll tell you who I think is a viable candidate. Not Pete Buttigieg, certainly not Kamala Harris. I think the governor up in Michigan, Whitmer, who's going to win re-election. She's got the, she's got the uh, benefit of running against a, 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 a MAGA Republican. This Tudor Dixon is a fucking whack job. And, um, you know, she was on record, Tudor Dixon, as saying that um, a woman raped by a family member might find some comfort in carrying that baby to term. I don't think that's going to win you an election in a state like Michigan, which is, you know, purplish anyway, if not sort of blue. So, you know, uh, Gretchen Whitmer is going to be reelected the governor of Michigan, and I think she then becomes a force on the national stage. Yeah, so um, breaking news, you're going to go on record as saying if you're raped by a family member, you should be probably allowed to to have that abortion if you like. Well, that's what Miss Dixon said. Now, I will say this, they're probably the two prettiest candidates running against each other. They're both very fine-looking women running against each other. Is that sexist? Some on the far left of my party would say, make America great again, asshole. You can't say those things. <laughs> oh, that's They're funny. both attractive women. You cannot. I'm sorry. Okay, Gavin no, Newsom's that, a handsome know, man. Hey, he is. If, and, and who would you if, rather yeah. be with, Whitmer or Newsom? Uh, well, no, I would take one. But, you know, if you were casting a president, Gavin Newsom is your guy. He looks like he came right out yeah. of, you know, central casting, man. Because yeah, he's going to but- try, too. Yeah, there, there may be a bigger field, I think, than people give uh, the Democrats uh, credit for, at least at this point. So they may have a, a, few good, a few good options if Biden doesn't run or, you know, if, if he doesn't uh, seek another term. But it is going to be fascinating. Um you know, 
this has been you know you've been a political hobbyist you say for 50 years i mean there's never been a time like this this is it's just fucking bizarre well but to your point how much of that is accelerated spurred on and just underwritten by social media yeah that's a good point i mean i don't know that there's ever been a candidate like donald trump um you've probably had plenty of candidates like joe biden uh, you know i'd say he's probably been more president uh, presidential candidates than not have been in the mold of a joe biden but you know trump was different uh, you know there's been nothing like him and i think if he was it's kind of like that uh, that superhero if he just used his powers for good and not evil like he could have you know, he could have been a really great once-in-a-generation president. Even, I think, uh, got a lot of Democrats to support him, like a la Ronald Reagan. But, yeah, man, it just seems like for everything that you thought, man, that, that's a good idea, there was some horrible, ridiculous awfulness that uh, you, you couldn't justify. Yeah, and, and you have to go to the man's ego, right, and self-esteem or lack thereof, whatever it is, because how can you be two years out from election taken to the stump, which is what he's doing? I mean, there's no doubt he's running again um, or, going, or going to attempt to, and, and saying that all of these foundations are broken with no thought. Nobody can whisper in his ear and say, man, you got to stop doing this because you're beating up the foundations that make American democracy what it is. You're beating up the courts. You're beating up the DOJ. You're beating up the FBI. You know, the, the, the way the parties have changed, weren't Republicans always the party of authority, a party of, of, of uh, respect for officers? And it was the hippies that didn't have that respect, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. How have they become an anti-police party? Which I would, that's another thing I would question. Hell, whether you're calling them semi-fascist, ask them how, if I'm debating a Republican, how did your party become opposed to blue lives? How are you now against local uh, police forces? How are you against the FBI, the Department of Justice? How did you allow your people to attack Capitol Police on January 6th? How did that happen? What's the evolution? And do you, Mr. Republican, Mrs. Republican, support that? Yeah, it's fascinating that they very, very, very much love the police unless they're standing in the way of MAGA, right? It becomes nobody is more important than the police except don't mess with Trump. He's much more important than the police. So it is pretty fascinating. And what did you make out of Trump's comment the other day about 9-11? Did you see this? We still don't know what's going on. We don't know who was behind 9-11. What the fuck was that? Yeah, that was uh, when he was hosting uh, some of the live players, right, at his, turn- at his uh, golf course in New Jersey because he didn't want to offend the Saudis, I reckon. But we know Saudi was behind it. 19 of the hijackers were Saudi Arabian, right? Right. So, so man, that's a that's a rough place to be. How do you defend that as a Republican? I mean, and again, you're there's going to be your guys in the spotlight for several years. There's going to be some undefensible shit. Your guys going to say some stuff that it's just like, I don't know, man, he just said some shit I don't agree with too. I'm with you. But Trump seems to do that a lot. And golly, 9/11? That's rough. Well, I mean, it goes back to I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. And, you know, that might have been a truly honest moment where he was looking at these crowds and saying to, I don't think he really speaks to Melania, saying to maybe his kid or his daughter, um, um, you know, wow, this is unbelievable. This is really the forming of a cult. Like you, you, you know, you... 
I didn't realize the strength of this appeal. And so once he saw that, he said, I'm just going to go all the way down that road. I'm going to take this to wherever, you know, it brings me. Now, to be fair, Tristan, as we try to be after 40 minutes of beating up Mr. <laughs> Trump, I don't think we were. We took our shots I don't at the think left so. also. If you Fair. recall back in 2008, that was John McCain's critique of Barack Obama, that it was a cult. Uh, did you ever see the movie Game Change? It was an HBO movie um, about Sarah Palin. It's wonderful if you've parts ever seen it. it. Yeah, parts of yeah, it. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's really good. Ed Harris plays McCain. And there's a scene where Ed Harris, as John McCain, walks into a room, and one of McCain's aides is watching Obama give a speech, and the fucking crowd is just insane, as those Obama crowds were in 2008. And the Ed Harris slash John McCain character, uh, or Ed Harris as John McCain, he watches for about 30 seconds, and he says to the people with him, and McCain's language was always pretty salty, he said, Jesus Christ, if he heals a baby, we're fucked. <laughs> right. So it was very cult-like. I mean, the, the Obama following was quite cult-like. Now, Mr. Obama, to his credit, I don't think he took it quite to that place where it was just this guttural base appeal um, where where Trump finds himself now, you know. And again, historians are going to have to look at it and decipher it all. But um, And let's be honest, Tristan, it is not coincidental. It's just not that Donald Trump came after eight year came to power after eight years of a, a president who looked like Barack Obama. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Ray. And something else I'll say on the sort of a mediocre segue on you bringing up game change uh, with Ed Harris's John McCain. To me, the moment that I said, oh, shit, Trump is different was when he insulted uh, legendary war prisoner and war hero John McCain. When he yeah. said, I like guys who didn't get captured. And the Republican Party said, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you can shit on wounded veterans. We're cool with that. I said, this is different. That's the point, Tristan. Not that he said it, but that he didn't lose the fucking nomination over it. I remember it was the summer of 2015 because he had just announced, and it was just a month after the escalator ride, and my brother and I were up at Lake George, and Tommy said, and he'll he'll probably deny this because he's never wrong, but he said, nah, that's it, Buzz. Trump's done. You can't say that. And I'm sure I agreed with him. Like, yeah, that I did fucking too. idiot stuck his foot in his mouth, and he's finished, so it's going to be Jeb Bush or, God forbid, Ted Cruz. But Trump's done. He's got to be done. You're right about that, uh, Drizden. That's a great, you know, that would be great to ask Mitch McConnell about. How was he not finished with the Republican Party when he insulted the thing that they value above all else? This was a man who spent six fucking years in the Hanoi Hilton, literally almost gave his life for the country, gave the middle finger to the Vietnamese when he was offered a release in exchange for some information or to say it wasn't that bad, whatever it was. And he didn't. And he stayed in there, a true American hero. And the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, allowed Donald Trump to get away with that. Fantastic point, man. Yeah, and and to your to your to your points, uh, well, I guess history, historians will will dig that out and figure out, you know, how that that this is what the Republican Party has become. Because again, I I know a lot of still wonderful people in the Republican Party, but. I can't wrap my head around the Donald Trump fascination and, and the fact that people are still on board in 2022. But again, 
it's not for me to call. I, I lean slightly to the left and not just my penis. And I, right. And I, and I hope that I, I know I go off on these tangents and probably too long and that loudmouth Yankee, but I hope people like Aaron know the respect I have for them. And they are certainly uh, stand up folks. They happen to their politics lean to the right or maybe a little further right. Mine lean to the left, probably to Aaron way further left. But, uh, you know, Aaron is a great guy. Tony Perkins is a great guy. As you often say, many friends who are Republicans, my pal, Matt Smith, who is truly on the MAGA train, you know, uh, and we can get along, we can have an adult beverage, we can have a wonderful time. So, so that's, you know, again, as our hour winds down, that was the whole thought behind this show. You know, Tristan, it wasn't just bullshitting in the office. It was, man, we got to find some way to fucking find some common ground amongst us because this shit's getting real and it's getting nasty and quite divided. Yeah, I'm with you, and I and I was thinking, man, almost the intro of the show should really be something to that regard, because I know, you know, I've had Democrat friends listen to the show and go, oh, I think you're missing the point on that, just like, you know, we probably have plenty of Republicans that also do the same thing, and, you know, uh, you guys just don't get this or don't get that, but I think if that's the place where we find ourselves, where we have, you know, both sides are kind of... Uh, in disagreement with us at different times we're probably doing a a pretty good job and hopefully we're doing a good job or not a good job but hopefully we're doing more bringing folks together than splitting people up more because there's enough partisan divisiveness right now and and hopefully we're not part of that problem that is the truth and for political hobbyists labor day was a couple of days back so we are in the thick of it man you know they always say election season kicks off at labor day and this is going to be an interesting one this one's going to be fun man it really is oh yeah yeah and we're going to have to do the election night somewhere so we you and i we need to do election results and have a good time so we'll work on that also all right my good friend you got a little company uh, for us I got a joke that I think you'll like. Ooh, looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I'm just going to read some more reviews off of uh, Spotify. So oh, no jokes I love today. Those reviews. Yeah, it's, it's good people are listening to us. Those are the five-star yeah. reviews. I, I, only, I only read five-star reviews. Yeah. Okay. I'm, right, I'm not cool. going to read a one-star review. They can, they can keep that. Yeah. So do you want right, to do your so, joke or do you want to hear some yeah, reviews? It's, it, it's a little off color if you're all right with that. I, I'm fine with that. It's literally, actually literally off color. All right, so this is brought to you by our wonderful pal Aaron at uh, Bria Pond. And by the way, if you do go to the store, and like you said, you want to deal with with Robin, you can tell who she is because she is the one not carrying the sidearm. Exactly. <laughs> she keeps hers uh, on a holster under her jeans on the on her okay. ankle. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. So Trisden. Our Berea Pond joke of the day. Do you, Tristan Reynolds, know how to tell when a mechanic has had sex? I do not. He has two clean fingers. (laughs) Hey, that's pretty good. Now... You know, these kids, Uh, so this is sort of an R-rated portion of the show, so if you want to turn it off now, fair warning. So these kids, you know, by kids I mean the millennials, of which I am the father of two, so I tell my son that joke, because we've reached the age now where, you know, there's really no more pretense, we're more friends than we are father and son, you know, sort of thing, although he still lives home, and every once in a while that, oh, you're in my house. 
But I tell that joke to my son, and you know, you have to remember these kids have quite a fascination with the the anus. He says, "Well, Dad, it depends where you put those fingers." Oh shit! <laughs> uh, like Bill Maher says, those uh, kids. Man, what 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 is the fascination with the anus? Do those kids not know there's a vagina down there? Oh my God! <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah, and I will say this: not I don't get along with my dad, but if I did, we definitely would not talk about anal fingering. <laughs> that would be off limits. <laughs> That's so, where you Dad. Draw if you're line. listening, I'm sorry. Our I'm sorry. Our relationship is not where it could be. But if we ever speak again, no <laughs> anal fingering. <laughs> Ever. And, and, and there goes any chance of ever getting the uh, Impossible Meets people on, huh? Yeah, I, th- I think no no real brand will ever sponsor us with these jokes, but what can you do? And you know what's funny? My dad's going to listen when this drops on Thursday, and he's going to have the phone in his hand, the tear just streaming. I was just about to call, but I deeply wanted to talk about anal fingering, and it's just going to ruin it, so... All right, let's. Uh, hey, let, let me stop you there. I guess though. I'll read the, some reviews before we get canceled. Well, here on the heels of that, um, Lucas, who's a very conservative young man, he's certainly not a MAGA Republican, but he is quite conservative. He wants to get shirts to sell here at Galaxy Bowling Center, and I do love these shirts. I know how well the owners would love them, and the shirt would say, "Bowling, the most fun you can have with two fingers and a thumb." <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. There is some good bowling humor there. You guys absolutely should do that. That would be great. And I'll steal one. (laughs) No, I'll give you one. Nice. All right, brother. I'm done. I've insulted enough folks. Sweet. So, yeah, so thanks to Bad Wolf uh, and thanks to Bria Pond. We appreciate you guys. Uh, You got to go see Aaron for a gun, a couch, a kayak, a table. Uh, Man, whatever you need. You got to go see my guy. Aaron at Berea Pond, BuckshotAndLead.com. Check him out, Berea at 107 Clay Drive. And Bad Wolf Gaming, 859-646-6061 at 711 Chestnut Street in Berea. I'm assuming with the new studio for us in the next couple weeks. And, um, yeah, we got to thank those guys. And, of course, our boy Troy at FrontPorchStudios.com. You got to check out his link right now if you're doing some traveling. I think there's an Expedia link on frontporchstudios.com that you can get a deal and help uh, help Troy out a little bit for for what he does. So check out frontporchstudios.com and if you would like to leave us a review, that's the absolute best thing you can do for extreme common sense besides personally send Ray and myself dollars. So if you don't want to actually send us money, you can go leave a, a, a five-star review. We would appreciate it. And I will leave, I will read it on the show. So these are a few that I've just taken off of Spotify this morning. Um, uh, this one didn't make much sense, but I'll read it anyway. It says, deja vu is when you feel like you've lived a moment before when you haven't. Extreme common sense vu is when you waste an hour and can't get it back. Huh. <laughs> Just kind of mean and didn't make much sense. Uh, let's see. At Johnny Small 56 writes, Small Dick Energy, five stars. That's probably hey. fair. Uh, I think I was in gym <laughs> class with John. Nice. Uh, so at Victor Cheats writes, I would rather listen to Nicki Minaj giving birth than sit through your podcast again. But five stars, we'll take it. You can be as mean as you want as long as you leave five stars. Um, Let's see. At at Michelle Broncos fan writes, 
Every time Ray mentions New Jersey, an angel loses their wings. Five stars. <laughs> That's mean. Hey, I don't think I mentioned it this and podcast. Wow. Well, <laughs> you don't have to put a dollar in the New Jersey jar today. <laughs> Let's see. At Cowboy Kelly writes, how can two guys with radio broadcasting experience be this bad at talking? Five stars. <laughs> Well, again, I know Cowboy I, Kelly. Yeah, I don't mind the hatred, but keep giving us five stars. We'll take it. So again, thanks to thanks to our man Troy at FrontPorchStudios.com, Bad Wolf Gaming, Aaron at Berea Pond. We deeply, deeply appreciate you guys couldn't do the show without you, Ray. As always, man, it's a pleasure, and I look forward to doing it again face to face real soon. Me too, brother. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Thanks, Tristan. Hey, thank you, Ray. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. We hope you had fun and look forward to taking on another topic next week.